need to treat your hires like you treat your leads in your law firm and you need to have an applicant tracking system. Like if you're not really intentional, your culture kind of evolves like on it creates itself. Yeah. And I kept hiring people that I was like, these are not my people is what I kept telling myself in my mind. I'm like, we don't share any of the same values. And I think a lot of moms have guilt of going and doing and fulfilling their dreams. But I think that almost makes a worse parent. Okay, so you can't say to your kid, you can go live your dreams if you're not living your dreams. I've always been an achiever, an ambitious, driven person. And it's like, it was hard being a little girl because you were told your whole life you could do anything. But then it's like, when you actually go do it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm gonna go be a lawyer. I'm gonna go own a company. Then you get a lot of resistance. In law school, attorneys are taught to challenge everything, tear things apart, break them down, but the qualities that make lawyers great can be some of the worst for running a business. At every stage of growth, running a business and practicing law can feel overwhelming. And what happens when you try to add life and family to the mix? It can feel nearly impossible. You don't have to do this alone. I'm Maria Monroy, co-founder and president of LawRank, a leading SEO agency for ambitious law firms. Each week we hear from industry leaders on what it really takes to run a law firm from marketing to manifestation. Because success lies in the balance of life and law, we're here to help you tip the scales. Jennifer Gore Cuthbert is an absolute powerhouse. Owner of Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group, her firm has grown 7,200% since opening. It is on the Inc. 5000 list and has no plans on stopping. I sat with her live at the Brain Trust Legal Conference. We sat together to discuss treating your hiring process like a lead pipeline through automation and tracking, why she had to spend a year fixing the culture at her firm, and how she mirrors the values of her business in her home life. Hiring is a real problem for so many law firms out there, especially in this environment, but Hiring in general has been a challenge for women law firm owners especially. But I think the key for hiring in the future is automating your hiring. And just to give people context, you have grown by how much since you opened? 7,200%. That's amazing. Congrats. And you made the Inc. 5,000. Yeah, we made the Inc. 5,000 this year. And, you know, we're just trying to get to a certain level as fast as we can. (laughs) And I know this has become a theme on our podcast, but Jen also does TikTok and all the social media platforms. I encourage you to follow her because she does an amazing job. And I would have loved to talk about that, but I want to stay focused on this hiring thing because I think hiring is so difficult. Like it doesn't matter what you do, where you are, it's so men, women, I think it's very difficult. And if you hire the wrong person, it's so expensive. Yeah. And I want to say that, um, you know, if I've listened to some podcasts and some other um, amazing attorneys that, you know, would say that they're incredible at hiring. And what made me kind of disheartened was that I realized that some of them would say, um, even though I'm incredible at hiring, my batting average is still like 50%. And That's so, like intake. I, Everyone's yeah. intake is great and then you you secret shop them and it's like not great. But like if 50% is good in hiring, then it's like, wow, hiring is really difficult. But yeah. I think what also you have to do in hiring is be really resilient in hiring. So it's like, 
you make a bad hire, but then you just get get right back up and, and go again. I think it sounds pe- like dating. Yeah. People get really demoralized when they make a bad hire. And I think that can also be really problematic. Yeah. It's literally like dating. Yeah. You get burned. Yeah. And then you kind of have to like get yourself back into the mode of like wanting to hire someone and, you know, but you just have to basically just keep going. And it's like a numbers game too. And you talk about automating your hiring. What does that mean? Cause that's so broad. So you need to treat your hires like you treat your leads in your law firm and you need to have an applicant tracking system. A lot of personal injury lawyers and, you know, other lawyers I know have a system for dealing with leads in intake. Correct. Like the docket or something similar. Yeah. And we previously, a couple of years ago, didn't have an applicant tracking system, which is an ATS. That's what it's known as. There's a couple of softwares. Which one do you use? We use WiseHire. I can't wait to get back and try it. Yeah. So it basically takes candidates and it funnels them through the hiring process. And so it posts your ads on like ZipRecruiter, Indeed, a ton of other sites. And then you just basically pay like four or $500 a month and it runs all those ads. We were spending thousands on Indeed. We spent thousands on Thousands. And I literally, my mind exploded when I found this. I was like, hold on, I just pay the $400 and then they have this deal. They have, they some must have a deal with in, Indeed. I don't know. But, you know, so that changed our, our ads because I run all the ads for all the positions in the firm, pretty much evergreen. And I never turned them off. And we told our staff, like, we're always hiring. And when do you know it's the right time to bring on another hire? When you have a pain point. <laughs> So you wait for the pain point. No, I mean, that's when you know you need to hire. I mean, you should be proactively hiring. And are you proactively hiring? Yeah. I mean, we have a hiring plan. Wow. A hiring plan, like put on paper. Quarterly. Yeah. Okay. Like if you're going to go do some marketing and you're going to increase your caseload, you can predict the hires you're going to have to make. To start looking for them now. Yeah. Because otherwise you're, you're not going to be able to keep up the quality of your work, right? If you If suddenly you have all these cases and you don't have the staff to support them, then you risk being fired. (laughs) Absolutely. We are always, because we learned the hard way at some point, we're always a tiny bit overstaffed. Yeah. You know, okay. So we started this position called a floater. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a crazy name. I don't know. No. Yeah. That's what it's called. They basically just, and right now we currently don't have our floater because invariably they get sucked into a part of the firm. Like someone's like, we really need that person. And they keep them. And they keep them. But then I'm like, dang, I got to get out and hire another floater. And they're kind of like a gap filler. Yeah. And it stops the bleeding. So you can like, if you have to let someone go or someone quits, you can put that person in. So like that team doesn't like collapse, you know, because people get really stressed out when someone on their team Yeah. It's like a substitute teacher. I love it. Yeah. And I think the cost of like an administrative floater, it could potentially save you hundreds of thousands of dollars because it's almost like insurance a little bit. It gives you, you're thinking more clearly when you're a little overstaffed, you're not in panic mode and it's just buys you a little time to make the next hire. But if I could just get five, 10, 20% better at like having, being a little ahead of those. I mean, I think it's game changer for sure. And you definitely have that mindset of like, you're always learning, always trying to get better. 
you know, you're very humble about that. You're like, I need help. I need coaches. I need mentors. I'm going to join masterminds. I'm going to go to conferences. I'm obsessive. And I like get so excited when I meet someone and they're doing something on a high level. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so smart. I need to like breathe your your air. I need to like chat with you. That's what excites me. Like something like when I found Wise Hire or like when I met somebody that like they're doing something incredible, I like... I get so excited. Oh, I know Daryl was like, don't use your phones during presentations. And you're like, wise hire. And I'm texting my husband, like, we're going to start using wise hire. Look it up. And I'm like putting my phone away quickly before I get yelled at by Daryl. But I'm super excited about it because it looks like if you guys know what a pipeline is, it looks like a pipeline. So you know what stage each candidate is in. Like interviewing, did their questions. But then the other thing that it does is like if you have an HR director and they're really managing it or you have someone assisting you, you they can put all their notes in. And then like when I log in, I see all that person's notes. So I felt like the ZipRecruiter and Indeed and all those other ones were very disjointed. And it was, it was like we were always corresponding about candidates via email, which is not efficient no. at Slack, all. Slack, email, they... They are great for certain things, but it's, we, and think about this. There's like HR issues that you need to have data on how you've been doing your hiring. Like if someone was to ever say, you know, you were discriminating on someone in hiring, like where are you keeping all your data on hiring? Interesting. I I never thought about that. And tell us a little bit about how it works. So you have this pipeline. I assume you have like a section for resumes and then somebody goes in and goes through the resumes. When do they get a set of questions that they answer? Is that before, after an interview? Are they pre-screening questions? Are they doing videos? Are they doing a task? How does it work? So these candidates come in, let's say you post a job for receptionist. Then it sends them an automatic reply and says, thank you for applying. And then you can build it out to either send your pre-interview questions before or after, or you can do them manually if you're like not sure you want to send them to all candidates. But like we have built out templates, like the five questions for a receptionist. And so like one of mine is like, what do you think are the qualities of a great receptionist? And like, we want to get the vibe of, is A, is the candidate going to answer the questions? B, like, are their answers, like, at all good? And so you can, it's all automated, and you can create more sequences. Then you can just go ahead and schedule them for an interview. A phone interview is usually what we do, and then if they pass that, then an in-person interview or a Zoom interview. And then the other feature, which we didn't talk about, is that it as soon as they complete their application, they personality profile the person. Disc, right? It's disc. We do disc as well. And we were spending so much money on disc. We are spending so much money on disc. All in the software. No. It's free. Like I can't believe that. We disc profiled our entire staff. Like you could I could disc profile you in my wise hire account. I'm the same as you. I'm DI. Of course you are. Of Hold course. on. Like, are we like shocked by this? No, I was like, of course she's DI. The day I met Maria, I was like, she's going to be my friend. I like her. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. Makes sense now. Yeah. So I go through and I get it like all these candidates and then um, you can put in there like on your ad, like if I'm looking for a personal injury attorney, you can put to tag if the person has personal injury experience and they speak Spanish and you know, they have five years of experience. So all the candidates that come in that says they have the match of the disc profile, they have the match of the personality, they have the match of the 
they have five years of PI, they have, they speak Spanish, those people will get like kind of brought to the top. Of that the, makes sense. And then you'll be able to go through like you get 30 applications. Okay, I'm only going to talk to these two. I'm so excited. What we've implemented is we read a book called Who? Mm. And I love it. It's like literally saved us from hiring people that we shouldn't, we should not hire. The very first question that you ask on like the very preliminary interview is what are your career goals? Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because if you're hiring someone as an assistant or a project manager and they're like, well, my career goal is to go back to school and be a vet. You need to know. You, you're like, well, this is not going to be a long-term it's like the trickiest question. And then it's like, what are you really good at professionally or really like to do? And then the the opposite of that question. It's really interesting because if you know you're going to hire someone that has like a repetitive task, I get people that are like, well, I don't like to do the same thing every day. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And automatically you're just like, okay, you're not going to be a good fit. And you can just end it. Right. It's the best right thing ever. Right in that moment, I'm like, I like give the person permission. Like, well, you know, we really want people to, you know, live the life of their dreams. And I just, I looked at this position and I really don't think you would be happy in this position. Yeah. <laughs> so it cuts all the nonsense. You know, you're wasting time trying to like put somebody in a role that's never going to work for them. You know? Oh, absolutely. And then you train them and then five months later, they're gone. You wasted all those months training, right? What we've gotten really good at is we use something called trainial. So we all of you, do, of yeah. course you do. So we don't have to like keep training people. The onboarding university. Yes, it's amazing. What, there's like a video like, welcome to Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group. And then it's like a video of my story. So I don't have to say that. I'm sure you have the same. Yep. Because it can be so repetitive, and like training gives you the ability to like see their progress through the course. And yeah, I mean, I think we could, we could build out training way, way further. I don't know how far you've got it built out. We, it's like everything's on training. Like I feel like some areas are super built out and then there's areas where I'm like, we don't have that in training. We need to put that in training. But I can- mean, we're always finding things that should be in training, but we've been doing it for a long time. And this is all Mariano because he's like, he's, he's he's just amazing. He's like all about processes and systems. And in SEO, there's so little that you can, I mean, you still need to have so much creativity and every mm-hmm. project and every market's different that whatever you can processize, you must processize. And I think part of the difficult part about bringing on new hires is training. So if you sit down and you take the time to do the trainings, and it's very corporate. So I worked for AT&T forever. And, you know, you always had those corporate trainings and videos and tests at the end. If you take the time to do those, yes, it's going to take you more time than training an actual human. But then you never have to You're do it free. again. Your freedom. So that hesitant. Like you, you're hesitant to hire someone because you're like, oh God, now I got to train them. You actually get anxiety on the training. And also we used to like literally cry when <laughs> we would hire somebody and we would spend all day training them and then they would like quit the next day or something and they would really, or that we would need to fire them and they're not a good fit. And I'm like thinking of all the hours of my life I'll never get back. Exactly. <laughs> and with training, you minimize I don't know, 80, 90% of that. Obviously there's still the human element and, you know, them being part of your culture or whatever, but it does help so much. Now let's talk a little bit about managing people, both adults and children, but let's start with adults. What's the culture like at your law firm? 
The culture at my firm in 2018, we spent like a whole year just like focused on the culture because I had a, a horrible culture. <laughs> um, Wait, let's talk about the horrible. What, what was so horrible about the culture? We had no d- dedicated culture. Like I thought people knew the culture, but it didn't. Like if you're not really intentional, your culture kind of evolves like. On it creates an, itself. Yeah. And I kept hiring people that I was like, these are not my people is what I kept telling myself in my mind. I'm like, we don't share any of the same values. This is- Did EOS help with that? was before us interesting um i was in another business coaching program and they kept telling us like culture is everything and there was all the books on culture yeah so i sat down and i worked with my coach at that time and we wrote down like everything we stand for and everything we stand against and we published it and um you know our firm is very like modern tech driven very OCD-ish, organized, polished, accountability is huge, efficiency is huge, data is huge. You love data. I love data. I love data. So if I hired a paralegal that's like 65, that hates data, hates tech, hates being organized, like their every day at my firm would have been hell because that's like the exact opposite of what I... You know, stand for. Absolutely. We hired these paralegals. They they only liked paper, and they would not change. I'm a paper. I've been a paperless firm since like 2018. That's amazing. So, like, the people that we hire now, they like will say like, everywhere I worked before, I thought I was OCD, and now I feel I lip like I'm where I belong. (laughs) You and my husband would get along because he's so OCD. Yeah, like like everybody likes like a nice tidy office and like we like data, we like systems, we like accountability. Like I say all the time, like I am not perfect. Like I make mistakes, but I will admit it, you know, so other people can. And it's okay to make mistakes. The issue's not making mistakes in my opinion it's like okay you made a mistake how do you make sure you don't make that mistake again how do you learn from the mistake yeah versus being so afraid to make a mistake that you just keep everything like so safe right and like there's no growth if you're afraid of mistakes in my opinion you can't have growth without mistakes but you know there's certain mistakes that are catastrophic we try to avoid those but you know we you have to give a level of of some creative freedom or you'll have like you know, people won't want to work there at all if it's so constrained. You know, I would say if we're talking honestly, like culture is still an ongoing challenge because if you go and hire five more people, the firm is always changing and always growing and there's new personalities coming in and one of them could be very dominant. And then, you know, the culture has to be a constant. Says the DI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, you know, so you you bring someone in that could be super seasoned and then they could change your culture, you know, if you're not, and it could be for the better or the, you know, the worse. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think like culture is ever done. No, it's like intake. If you just stop working on it, well, good luck. Working out. Same yeah. Thing. It's like working out, which sucks. Like how cool would it be if we worked out for like six months and then we're like set? Yeah. But then I think like not a, like it would be easy. And so then like, no, but it, it wouldn't be as like much of a challenge, right? You like the challenge, huh? I, I like a little bit of a challenge. Me too. <laughs> I love the gym. I love the gym. I'm going to start posting videos like you do. You know what? We want to see your videos. We're waiting. I know. I know. I've been kind I'm of always like giving you like, like shit on, um, on social. I'm like, where's your video, Maria? 
I'm like your number one fan. Well, we always chat on on Instagram. I know and Facebook because I love your stories. I love yours. You're always so honest about like parenting and like your struggles and like you just you're very candid and I think it's it's good people. I think it's really detrimental to use social media and not be honest. I think if you're only going to show the good, you're contributing to the problem that social media causes. Why are you laughing? Because I do agree, but I'm like always the person that wants to be positive. You don't always share soup. Like you, I share, you're pretty I honest. I share a lot of stuff, but I also like try to always see the glass half full. So it's like such a struggle for me to like, I, I hate the victim mindset. Oh no, me too. So it's like, I like always am like, ah. I'm so grateful. Why am I complaining? <laughs> no, I, I I feel you. I feel you. You know what's also like really interesting is like I posted like, it was like maybe like one week where I was posting like, I'm struggling with this move to Mexico City. Now there's an earthquake. People panicked. People were so fucking worried. I, and I was I like- I didn't send you any messages on that. <laughs> you did not. And I was like, okay. Do you it, need a therapist? I, I, I was, Do you need help? People were I'm really worried. worried. That's what I was that's getting. Because the moment you put out something that's like, I need help, the rescuers of the world and the, the people who have a, like the victim mindset, they come out in full fledge. But it was crazy. And I think some people- um, They truly want to help. I, th- I think some people were honestly just like, hey, this doesn't seem like Maria. Like, I'm just going to make sure she's okay. Because you were being vulnerable. But you know what it is too, though? It's that it's like the opposite is also true, right? If you're only posting all these like happy stories, people think your life is amazing. But if you're only posting negative things, people think your life sucks. And I was like, I'm just giving you like a moment in time. 5%. Like, I yeah, I'm a little depressed because there's no sun and I have seasonal depression. And yeah, I haven't been working out because I don't have a car that works. And, but because Mexico's like driving me insane. But- I'm still super grateful and so happy I'm here and enjoying my children. You're just and it's having like a little vents. I know. And now I feel like I can't freaking vent. It, it's such a fine balance. But at the end of the day, I think it always goes back to just do what you want to do. I mean, I'm just me and I, just I don't know how to be not you. be me. Yeah. And like, I think over time, the audience comes to know who you are. Yeah. Like my friends were not panicked at all. Like my friends didn't even message me. Like oh. they're like, she's, she's fine. She's well, just, she'll get over it. She's keeps it real she's having a day like we've all have that I think it's harder to go on there and talk about your struggles I think it's the same you think it's the same because you do it every day so yeah I don't care I'm just like I mean you know I like if if I if I got like engagement off of that I would literally share like the most mundane things ever like I'm eating an apple with peanut butter but obviously that's not gonna the alcohol tends to get... Oh, it really t- triggers people. Wow. People, some people are like, that's dumb. Like, you should be drinking. Some people are like, just get over it. Like, you're fine. You only live once. I'm like, you're just projecting. Like, okay, you just want to feel good she about the fact that... She calls everyone out in her stories. <laughs> some people hate me. You know what? If you don't have any haters, like, the, what are you really doing? You're just world? not yourself. You gotta, like... You can't, what does Mike say? You can't be vanilla, you gotta be Cherry Garcia. Well, you do, I <laughs> totally agree. So let's talk about parenting. Our favorite topic. No, not my favorite topic. Why? My most it's common a, topic. It's such a pain point, I feel like, in it's, your story. It's such a pain point. I just, I mean, obviously, and I hate that I even have to preface this, but obviously I freaking adore my kids. You, it's obvious. I your- adore them. But I did not understand how tough it was gonna be. 
Like nobody said to me like, wait, like it's actually like much harder than like you you think it's going to be. And I was 27 when I had my first kid. I think you were pretty young too, Around right? the same age. But see, what were you the oldest or the youngest? The oldest. So, I was dying for a child. Yeah, I was like, I, w- I was a babysitter. And so like when I had kids, I knew it was going to be really hard. Oh, you knew? Knew. I thought it was going to be like no. the most beautiful, no. chill, like, okay, you're underslept, but like no. I had no idea that they were going to trigger me so much. Yeah, I actually like wasn't sure I wanted to have kids before I had kids because I was it, the responsibility of having kids was so heavy to me. It was like so heavy. I think I'm codependent. I really wanted kids. I wanted them like I I remember waking up one day when I was like 27 and I was like I want to have a baby. It's like a true biological clock. It's such a it literally I literally woke up and was like I want to have a baby and it was the craziest experience. I was like why am I randomly just I always wanted that? a baby. When I was 15, I would beg my mom. So you had really fantasized. I it. had. I hadn't done that. I I really really fantasized you, like, it. You like thought it was going to be this like glorious. <laughs> yes. I was like in pure dread. I was very worried. Oh, no. I was like I, I think like the craziest thing about it is like the, the worry once they're born that you're like, your heart is living outside your body. Yes. And the thing is, it's like initially when I first had Sebastian, I was like, I looked at Marno, I'm going to cry. And I was like, I need to have another because if anything happens to him, like it's soul crushing, I can't live anymore. But then I had another and I was like, well, this sucks because now if one thing happens to one, I can't kill myself. And Marno was like, holy shit, you're right. And we were like, why did we have two? You know, and then once we had two, it was like, all right, well, I know, we these are girl. like the irrational things you think when you have a kid. And yeah. nobody that doesn't have a kid could actually like wrap their mind around it. But it's so, it's so like the highest highs and the lowest lows. It is. It is. And I feel like I'm super grateful that I have tons of help. I know you have tons of help too. And that's really made all the difference. But I went through like a dark period where I had no help and I was a stay at home mom and you know, but now what I really want to talk about is you have a parenting coach. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a crazy person that goes and gets coaches for every single thing. See, I'm like, I feel like I'm very like more like organized and very like business minded. But when it comes to the kids, it's like a shit show. Whereas like you have your life together, like on both ends. Well, because I kept waking up and literally thinking my life is not, my home life should be similarly run. Even like with the executive assistant, I think your home should be run as well as your business. So my my home, I agree with you. And I have somebody that does everything from like paying every bill to grocery shopping to... Because it's an operation, right? Totally. And then... But the kids. But I was like, the values I believe in business and life, I'm not reflecting those in my kids. So how did you start implementing that? Uh, well, I I just knew internally that I needed to find a, like a coach because like everything I've ever wanted to do, I needed to like, the hack is find the person who knows it, who can teach it to you. And so I started doing research online and I found like a lot of the parenting coaches, like I didn't, didn't align with my values. And so like you have to find something that aligns with your values. And the first time I heard this coach, I was like, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. And as soon as I hired them. It was actually like, I was nine months pregnant with my third child. Oh, that was another thing. Like I knew I was having a third child and I was like, I can't like let this keep going. Like we got to get this under. (laughs) So I was nine months pregnant with my third child and it was like three months before the pandemic. Jesus. So I hired them 
And it was like the most perfect timing because you know how everyone was like struggling with their kids during the pandemic? My kids were like doing incredible. It was the most incredible time of our lives. So it's been really good to have that structure for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I believe in like, like one of my favorite books is like Think and Grow Rich. I know you love that book. It's my favorite book. So a lot of our parenting is very connected to that book. And that book is kind of like the root of some of the values of the parenting coaching we do. It's, it's, you know, a lot of cultivating entrepreneurs, you know, in Think and Grow Rich, they talk about like creating a vision. And if you constantly tell your kids what to do all the time, you crush their ability to create a vision. So our biggest like initial thing was to stop telling them what to do all the time and speak to them in a way that taught them to think. And that... Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, and, and how I'm going to describe this is like, you know, the idea when you hear someone say like, there's no bad dogs in the world, there's only a bad dog owner. Like you've created that out of control pet. Any issue with your child is, is from the like environment you've created for them. Right. So if, if your kid comes home and you say like, put away your shoes and put away your hat and put away your gloves, you know, your, your jacket, you're just dictating. You're a dictator. If you come home and you say, hey, where's, what do we do when we get home? Like, where's the best place for your coat? They engage with you in conversation and they think. And then they don't resist you. Because they're like, oh, I put my coat right here. And like, it's not a battle. Do you want to be my coach? I, well, like I went through like weeks and weeks and I had to relearn how to speak to my kids because I was just basically like a dictator. And this also applies to employees. If you're constantly having to tell someone to do, you're going to get completely different results than when you ask them questions. Oh, I'm always like, what do you think we should do? What okay. do you think the next steps but, are? But, but why haven't you done that with the kids? It's like I so do it obvious. sometimes. I do it sometimes, and it just it just depends. It's time consuming. I have one kid that like literally takes up ninety percent of my energy, and everybody does. Every single like you family, have one of those. Everybody does. Oh and you know what? They are your greatest challenge, and they are the kid that will. I always tell my daughter; she's the one for me. I'm like, you're so powerful. That child is calling you to be a better parent. Oh, they're your greatest teacher. And that's like the thing. It's like, that's the thing that kills me. I'm like, shouldn't I be teaching you? But like, here you are teaching me like patience for... They are are the vehicle for how we learn our greatest life lessons. So, oh, and I, I I totally agree. Now, you posted a video of your, I believe your middle child, your son. My son. And he was to fold his laundry and he was refusing and tell me if I'm getting this wrong because this was months ago he was refusing to fold his laundry and you were basically like okay you can come out of your room when you're done folding your and he was there for hours hours yeah it's the struggle so like um the other thing that it's all about is stop overcompensating for your kids if you overcompensate for your kids and you do stuff for them you rob them of their motivation but like my 10 year old can't fold are you telling me your kids can fold my kids can all fold no I, like neatly? Yeah, uh, well, okay. Like the first time they do something, just like employees, are they going to do it good? No, it's such a pain in the butt. So one thing that the program- <laughs> I'm like the most impatient person. I'm so impatient. I'm right there with you. But you know how you were talking about like you put in the time and then you buy your freedom? I'm going to do trainings for my kids. <laughs> so we did hunt during the pandemic when we were home, we did, we did training days 
No. It, we did full training days. I ta- like when they first learned to empty the dishwasher, the first time they did it, they put everything in the wrong place. Yeah, of course. But then they got better and then they got faster and then they we made we gamified a lot of stuff. And like now Oh, my husband always talks about that. Because we do that at, uh like he's like when you build a training, he's like gamify it. Yeah, and then the other thing we do is like we um have like music all over our house and different, you know, the kitchen or whatever. And so like, I always taught them like when I have to do a task that I'm like, don't want to do, I will listen to music we do the same or thing. a podcast. So like my son, I got him doing his laundry where he listens to motivational like speeches. Oh, that's so cute. So it'll be like, never give up. <laughs> He's like falling like yeah. the 100th shirt. It's like, like, you, you don't want to work. Your work makes you better. You know, it's like, so I've like taught them little hacks. I mean, some of it is not perfect. One thing when they do their laundry, I'll I'll be like, okay, you've seen, you've seen how to fold laundry. How would you grade yourself on your folding? And they'll be like five. (laughs) Like, you know, and my- Do you yell? No. The greatest thing with, I mean, I really tried- I, the greatest thing the parenting coaching taught me was you have to have self-control. See, that's my biggest issue. Cause like I grew up in a Latin household very and loud. <laughs> it's just very loud. And there was a lot of yelling from like my grandmother to my aunts, to my mom, to my stepdad, uncles, like they get pissed. And I, they yell. I used to yell. And I always yell. And then I feel guilty about it. And that's why I stopped yelling. The more control you get over yourself, like now my kids will like have a massive tantrum and I'm just standing there and I'm like, I'm here when you're ready. Like, I mean, I have days where I'm like that and I'm very like calm and I'm like, when you're ready for a hug, I'm here. Okay. Because the reaction, if you give in the reaction, the tantrum goes on more. And it feeds it. It feeds it. They get what they want. So what I'm do like, you do if they're violent though? Like my daughter will start scratching, kicking me and I hold her down. I don't hurt I've her, had but to I restrain my kids here and there if they yeah. do stuff like I'm that. I'm just like, but, but there's the right consequences. So like, if you choose that, I'm like, oh, what's the consequence? Wow. It sounds like you want to give away your iPad for a week. <laughs> That's just mean to No, I do. Oh no. I have consequences too. Yeah. It's like. I understand you're not really interested in watching the movie Friday night. Oh, I tell them, look, television and iPads, they're a privilege. You have to know the things that are motivating them. I think the kid, people that can't get their kids to do the things they need to do, like the basics, it's because they don't have an idea of what's driving their kids or the kids have too many privileges for free. Yeah. And see, we always practice attachment parenting. So like my babies never cry. They like co-slept with me. The problem with attachment parenting is that it very easily leads into permissive parenting. 100%. And for a long time, I was like, I don't want to punish. Like there should just be natural consequences. But then that's really difficult. And then I realized, well, you How know what? How does life really work though? Exactly. There are consequences. And my point to them is, look, all these things are a privilege. I work for these privileges. I work so that you can't have an iPad. I work so that I can pay for Netflix. I work so that you have your own room. If you can't contribute to the family life in a meaningful way, then you're not entitled to the privileges. You want ice cream today? How did you behave at dinner? So we pay our kids to do their chores. Um, They all have like little debit cards and they get like 25 cents a chore or whatever. And so we incentivize them to do their chores. I would say parenting is incredibly challenging and I definitely am not perfect at it. I've come a long way, but... I feel like the parenting I'm doing is like strategic and I have an, a plan, like I know what I'm doing. And I went in like 
did something that's in line with my values. So all the like guilt and like, I'm, you know, like when you're not really intentional about what you're doing, it makes you always feel like bad and you have guilt. And so like, I feel really an integrity with like what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, which gives you a lot of confidence. So you've read, what's her name? Brene Brown. Yeah. Cause I she mean, talks about living in integrity with your values. Like if you're, wasn't that the conflict you were talking about in your parenting is like, I believe in these things, but at the home front, I'm not showing, I believe in accountability, but I'm letting you get away with doing whatever the hell you want. Yeah. I definitely, I think that raising children is way more difficult than running a business. It's so much because you're dealing with people who are not fully emotionally developed. I know. And then all the, I, for me personally, it's like all of my triggers from my childhood yeah. pop up. And I think that's what's been the hardest. And if somebody said to me, hey, when you have children, they're going to trigger you from childhood. I That would have made me stop. I knew it was going to, tr- I knew that. See, I didn't know any of that. See, I feel like my childhood was great but there was a lot of like hard things and I was thinking oh my god I'm gonna mess up my kids you know like that was my greatest fear is like I'm gonna damage these kids with all the emotional baggage yeah no I feel the same way but then I'm like okay my coach for like parenting always tells me he's like you're in like the two percent he's like you're doing the like like he's like most parents aren't you know, doing anything. They're not going to coaching. They're not, you know, so he's like, you got to give yourself a break at some point. You know, everything isn't going to be excellent all the time. No. But one thing that the coaching has done that I'm like so grateful for is it's really healed my relationship with my kids. Like we have such an incredible bond because I see myself more as their coach than like their enemy. Like, I always tell them, like, I'm here for you. I'm your, like, you chose me to be your parent. And like, You're going to make me cry. Yeah, I'm like, we believe that, that your your kids chose you and that I'm the greatest person to <laughs> teach you life's lessons. And what a gift that is to be able to be that influence on someone's life. And I'm like, you know, I'm your coach. I'm your guide. And I'm here for you, ride or die for life, you know? Like what, like, that's amazing. You know, you're the first one to make me cry. <laughs> you, you, you get that. I get it because I know that's how much you love your kids. It's yeah. so obvious. And it's like so many people are suffering in parenting because they want to do it so good. They want. It's to, just, it's, it's, it's so heavy. hard. It's really hard. I really think it's like the hardest thing ever. Do you, do you feel like you're too hard on yourself? I'm too hard on myself and like, everywhere. period. <laughs> like, yeah. Like one of my friends a few years ago was like, Maria, you're such an overachiever. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I really was like, no, I'm not. But then you realize like you're, you think everyone else is like you. <laughs> no. And, and then I realized like one day I was like, oh shit, I think that that's accurate. And I just hadn't like realized it. You know, because I've always been very go, go, go from such an, I moved out when I was 18, you know, I lived Me in a, too. yeah, I it's lived like in the a, same pattern. I, and I lived in an environment where I would consider it toxic. Your so, upbringing? Oh, totally. Very toxic. But I think that was like, for me, similar, but it's like the greatest motivator to move out. It is. It's. And sometimes I also think about that, like I had adversity and obviously I was an immigrant and there was just like so many things and I mean, nothing like super awful, but it just wasn't like a healthy environment. You knew it intuitively. Oh, very intuitively. 
Like I always knew like this I just, is not good. I was always fighting with my parents. Like oh, me too. always clashing with my parents. And I think that's what scared me to have kids because I was thinking I don't want this to be me. And truly like hiring the parenting coach, I was like, if this buys me where I don't have that same dynamic going with my kids as adults, it would be worth every penny. And even there was like a period of like two years where I really didn't talk to my parents. Oh, I have taken some serious breaks from talking to my mom. But the thing is, it's like you have to self-preserve yourself sometimes. Absolutely. And this is, I talked to my mindset coach about this. I'm like, how do I know where it's like a boundary versus avoidance? Well, and I think like you can forgive things that have happened, but if the damage continues in every interaction, you know, you have to limit it. For me, what I did was I reestablished my boundaries with my parents because I think they, your parents tend to, if they haven't done a ton of personal development, they tend, they put you in the role or the, the box that you were in as a child and yes. you can never break out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I had to do the same exact thing. But here's the thing. If you didn't go through what you went through, would you be the parent you are today? I don't know. I mean, maybe intuitively I would be less reactive and like maybe I would be better. If I had had better parents, I probably would be a better parent. Now, would I have had the drive on the business side that I have now? Probably not. And I think about that, like, am I raising privileged kids with no adversity? That's my greatest fear. I don't want to, like, my our coach always says, like, if you died tomorrow, how prepared are your kids for the real world? Holy shit, mine are like, no. I mean, they've never cleaned, for starters. Like, well, they haven't even cleaned. And I say to my kids, you don't have to clean when you can pay someone to clean. Like, that's the truth of life. But like you have to do it till you can pay for someone to do it. But now I feel t- totally, I mean, I had to clean from like 18 to, you know, I don't know, 30 something. But, and I hate cleaning. This, this was like a big I fight hate, between I Marno and I. More, if I never cleaned again, it would be too soon. Oh, Marno and I, he I jokes. I hate laundry. Me too. I hate I it all. I hate cooking. I hate it all. I was not all meant to be a domestic Neither woman. Neither was I. And I always knew when I was a little kid, I used to tell my mom, well, my parents made me do chores. So did mine. So I, I think that impacts it. I used to tell my mom, one day I'll hire a cleaning lady. <laughs> and like, now she's, ne- my mom has never had a cleaning lady to this day. And she'll be like, I guess you got what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. But no. you know what? That's not a good use of my time. It's not. But I also want to address something that I think is important. I think being happy in general and like for you, obviously, having a business and having your firm and being successful was important. And I think a lot of moms have guilt of going and doing and fulfilling their dreams. But I think that almost makes a worse parent. Okay, so you can't say to your kid... You can go live your dreams if you're not living your dreams. It just doesn't have the same resonant. Like it doesn't, I know there's a lot of parents out there that will say that, especially like in the immigrant community, like my grandparents and my great grandparents were immigrants as well. So I understand that. Like they want to come here and set you up, but you have kids follow what you do, not just what you say. So like. When I go somewhere, I'm always like telling my daughter and showing her, I bring her to work with me. I bring my son to work with me. And I'm like, oh my God, look at this. I built this company. This is so amazing. Like I get to live my dreams and it gives them permission to do the same. 
I don't being, resent my kids because they've the helped one. me back. Like there's a lot of people out there that are like, I live for my kids. I live for my kids. I love my kids. They are like everything, but I also have a purpose in the business world. I have so many other parts of my personality that I get to express in different arenas. And there's this book by Eve Rodsky, which is called Fair Play. And it talks about this concept of unicorn space and every human needs unicorn space. It's like the time when you get to do the things that make you come alive, like your passions. And it's like pervasive that women don't really have unicorn space. Men often have like golf or stuff they really truly just love to do and create a lot of space for it. But there's like this idea in our culture that women shouldn't have anything other than children as their passion. And I think I'm sure some women, Ah. they love being a mom and that is their unicorn. I'm just not that person. But why is it even like, why is it so taboo to say like, my purpose is more than just parenting. Like you never hear that from, for a man. I have no idea. Like even like, for instance, like my grandma, like she doesn't understand why I'm so busy. And finally one day I said, just pretend I'm one of your sons. Like, how do you treat them? And she's like, oh, well, they're busy. And I'm like, so am I. It's the same exact thing. I work like a man in your brain. Just think of it that way. Cause that's like the only way I can explain it to you. And I was really annoyed. I was, I'm sure you can tell. And she was kind of like, oh, oh shit. Okay. Do you feel like, like the culture kind of is men are treated very different than women? So I think in Mexico we're, we're like 50 years back. So, you know, I haven't really experienced that as much in the States. Like for instance, you and I are in a male dominated industry mm-hmm. and I personally don't have many issues with that. Right. Neither have you. Yeah. I mean, some of our great closest friends are men. They're amazing. They have treated, you know, us, welcomed us in, Yeah, no issues. you know, no issues. So, I mean, I am more of like about people. Like if you're an amazing person and you inspire me, I don't care what you look like, what your you know gender is, whatever. I'm attracted to people's like energy and, and being around people that are high achievers and people that have huge visions and, that's what I care about. I, you know, there's men that are like that. There's women. There's people of all different color. <laughs> you yeah. Know? That's what it is. It's the person. I agree. It's just in Mexico, again, it's like we're 50 years But back. I just wonder, like, I feel I've always been this way, like in my soul, like who I am. I've, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Like I've always been an achiever, an ambitious, driven person. And it's like, it was hard being a little girl because you were told your whole life you could do anything. But then when you actually- I wasn't told that. See, I was told like, I think it was like during the 90s, right? It was like, women can do it all. And like, you're kind of told that. I don't remember being told that. But again, I had like- A different culture. I had a different culture. Well, I feel like we we were told that we could do a lot of things. But then it's like, when you actually go do it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to go be a lawyer. I'm going to go own a company. Then you get a lot of resistance. And so even in your case, you're going and doing things. And it's like, people are like, oh, this is so crazy. And it's like, it's just part of, it's my essence of who I- I am. I'm not going to yeah. suppress that. So one time my kids had swim lessons and something happened where the swim instructor like grabbed Sebastian too rough and like left a little mark on him. And I called my mom like basically in tears and I was like so upset. And her response to me was, 
well, you should be the one taking them and not the nanny. So whenever people say stuff like this, I think about like their own issues they're projecting out totally. onto me. And it's like, it's like a little pseudo, like they want to, it's like cut you down. And I'm like, okay, I see your mindset. Like that's how you have to think about it because everybody's criticisms are like, you travel too much. Like they don't let, they've have a story in their mind that there's a certain amount of travel that's acceptable. And beyond that, <laughs> you've, you're, you've got a problem. Yeah. Like something's a, wrong with that's you. That's a limiting belief. Totally. Oh my God. We could have totally in a whole episode on limiting beliefs. Yeah. And so I always like try to catch like, what's their limiting belief here? Absolutely. Her limiting belief in that was that you have to do it all. Nobody can assist you in anything with your kids. I think her limiting belief is that like moms can't work. And I had to work through that because I remember when I first started working at Lawrence like full time, I was going through these like meditations that are for limiting beliefs. And like one thing that came up is you can't be a mom and work. And I was like, I don't believe that. So it was like totally like super subconscious. And I had to like work through it. When I first became a mom, when I, my daughter was only like one year old, I remember having like crushing anxiety about working and being a mom because I had that same belief and it was really confusing for me because like my dad was an entrepreneur and then my mom was a stay-at-home mom and I was very similar to my dad. I was very entrepreneurial, but then like I grew up with a stay-at-home mom. So I was getting like two messages because my dad was always telling me, you should rule the world. You should own a lot. Like he was always like my cheerleader, like to do anything I wanted. But then my mom was always like, you know, a really good mom makes handmade Halloween costumes. Oh my God. And it's like, I was getting such confusing messages. And then one day you have to decide. I sat down and I wrote down, what do I believe right. it takes to be an amazing parent? And then when I created my own definition, I was able to like break free of everybody else's because that's, again, going back to, like, being in integrity with your own values. Like, half of us are working off values that we inherited from other people that we don't even fundamentally agree with. Right. You know? So it's like you have to decide one day to take control of your own life. Automate and track as much of the hiring process as possible. Creating systems might take a lot of time in the beginning, but will buy you freedom down the road. If you plan to market and increase your caseload, know what key hire you will need, set up a quarterly hiring plan to reflect your growth, and hire before there is a pain point. Every firm has a culture even if you didn't create it. Be intentional and hire in alignment with your values. And remember, if you want your kids to live their dreams, you have to live your dreams as well. Thank you so much to Jennifer from Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group for everything she shared today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show. Catch us next week on Tip the Scales with me, Maria Monroy, president of LawRank, and hear how the best in the business broke out of limiting beliefs, overcame adversity, and built a thriving purpose-driven business in the process.